Hi, everyone. I'm JJ Hornblast, and welcome to The Roadmap from Auto Finance News, the nation's leading news provider on automotive lending and leasing. Uh, thank you for joining us. This is our weekly wrap for what's happening in the industry for February 22nd, 2021. Before beginning, a great thanks to our advertisers, Agora Data, uh, Exeter Finance, and Strook and Strook and Levan for their continuing support. I am pleased to be joined by Joey Pizzolatto and Amanda Harris from the Auto Finance News Team. Welcome to both of you. First to general economic news, Brett Oil climbed above $63 a barrel as Goldman Sachs uh, today predicted that prices could advance into the $70 range uh, in coming months. Uh, on the Treasury's curve, the gap between the five and 30-year yields touched the highest level in more than five years, which is a signal uh, that investors expect a pickup of economic activity um, in the coming uh, months. And bond yields also rose in Asia uh, but did edge lower in European trading. Uh, and finally, uh, Bitcoin fell below $50 a coin after Elon Musk, the uh, car magnet, suggested prices were too high at $58,000 a Bitcoin. And so we've got that new pricing. In uh, auto finance news, uh, we had Westlake Financial Earnings. Uh, that came out and showed that um, Westlake grew its portfolio by nearly 15% in 2020. Uh, let's start by talking a little bit about, you know, kind of their financial performance. And I think it behooves us to also touch on uh, their growth in the prime uh, credit segment, and then also sort of other uh, developments in other credit segments. Joey, is that yeah? Sure, um, I'll, I'll take that one uh, right off the bat. So, so like you mentioned, um, Westlake increased their their total uh, managed assets to um, twelve point one billion, um, which was largely driven by um, an increase in prime credit share. Now, Westlake has been a full spectrum lender uh, for a long time. They really have their hands in pretty much everything as it relates to auto finance. They do commercial uh, mortgages for dealerships. Uh, they finance uh, branded cars. Um, so they're everywhere. Um, but but they, they have been making a, a, a stronger push into prime. Um, so at the end of the year, um, they have about 50% of their portfolio made up of prime. Um, now they're, they're usually known as kind of a subprime lender, but I think this is really kind of indicative um, of, you know, a larger trend that we've been following um, that I'm sure Amanda will touch on a little bit more in a second, um, but subprimes losing losing quite a bit of market share as a result of the pandemic. Um, lenders have pulled back. Um, others, you know, we are seeing um, Ally, they, they play in the subprime space, they're growing. Uh, Chase Auto, they play in the subprime space, they're growing. Uh, but some of these smaller guys, they're having a hard time keeping up. 
Um, and I think, you know, Westlake, they kind of sit right in the middle of that, you know, they're not, they're not huge, but they're not tiny either. Um, so, so they, they could be a, a pretty good yardstick uh, by which to measure uh, which way the market's moving in terms of, you know, credit segment market share. When you say losing market share, what do you, what do you kind of mean? What do you mean that there are fewer subprime originations being made? Yes. Yes. When I say market share, um, subprime originations are down. So you're saying the extension of credit to that. So, so it's not necessarily because you got to make this distinction, right? It's not necessarily yeah, yeah. that there are fewer subprime borrowers. It's just sure, that sure. there's less credit going to that space. I mean, do you have a sense or either of you, I mean, do you have a sense for sort of the scope of that? Like how much less, um, I mean, is, do we have a number for like how much less subprime originations there has been over the last many months? Yeah, I can jump in on that. Um, so we kind of punched in on this issue a little bit more um, through a report from TransUnion this week that we had. Um, and it really looked at, you know, again, that there was this pretty big decline. So from their report, subprime originations declined about 21% year over year. Um, and that comes as total auto originations are really kind of climbing back to pre-pandemic levels. They were only down about 2% from the same period a year ago um, from that particular report. So that just kind of shows that while auto overall, you know, continues recovering and everyone kind of has a, a pretty good outlook on it that it's coming back to 2019 levels, which are more of a normal, obviously 2020 is more of an outlier now. Um, but subprime still is, is pretty, pretty down. Um, and I can go into a couple of reasons why we, we had a story back in um, December, so like the end of 2020, that really talked about, you know, subprime was falling to near Great Recession lows. So this kind of is an update on that where it's still, it's still down. And part of that is, you know, there was a tightening of credit standards by lenders. So obviously, you know, there's less financing maybe out there, at least from the traditional OEM type sources for those borrowers. But there's also, you know, just less demand um, during this. You know, some of those borrowers may look toward, you know, refinancing. That's kind of something we'll look into in the next magazine um, instead of going out to try to get a new vehicle for themselves, whether it's new or used. Um, some of it was just that maybe they weren't looking for a vehicle or maybe they focus on some other, you know, debt, trying to pay off debt, trying to, you know, pay the regular bills at this time. We know a lot of people still were on furlough, unemployment. Um, you know, some of the assistance programs have ended. So all of that kind of goes to say that those borrowers, one, may, may, not, may just not be looking for those. And then two, you know, might not be able to get the financing from more traditional sources. That's not to say there isn't financing out there. There's always going to be someone who wants to, borrow, to give them money. If they would like to borrow money to purchase a vehicle, um, they're going to be able to find it. But just in the I, mean, you, I mean, you have two, you have two underlying factors. I mean, let, let's just state one thing. I, I mean, in the subprime sector, the main motivation behind purchase generally is work-related. I, I believe that that's, that, that, that has certainly historically been the case. Um, my sense is it would still be the case. I don't see why it wouldn't. 
So if you've got historic unemployment and you've got historic work from home, then you know the demand for a vehicle um, is just not there in a segment that doesn't have the sort of nice to have motivations in the luxury car uh, space, or luxury slash prime space. So, so you know the the issue to me is is to what degree might inflation drive subprime originations. What I mean by that is, is that if you are in an inflationary circumstance, then you need yields to be as high as possible because you got to keep pace with the inflation that is sort of underpinning um, uh, or, or that, that is running as an undercurrent to, to credit. Um, so, I mean, I guess at what point does that happen or is that not even really, let's say, a consideration? I mean, I think with, with the benchmark being as low as it is in the Fed's um, forecast uh, to, not, to not raise that, um, I think it's probably not a major concern right now, but I, I definitely think, you know, the, with, with the Fed's monetary policy being really unable to, to kind of like pin down even if, you know, 2% uh, inflation is is kind of their target anymore. Um, you know that that could change on a dime, especially in in our current economy. Um, I think one other thing we also have to remember. I totally agree with what you said, JJ. But um, I think in terms of you know consumers and and uh, in the subprime space and their jobs, um, you know you have you have a lot of service industry workers, um, a lot of restaurant workers, um, factory workers, fulfillment centers, um, and a lot of those people you know don't have the the option to to work from home right so you know while on one hand yes absolutely i agree um that you know work from home changes demand in terms of how many vehicles a household needs um how many miles are going on those vehicles um i do think in the subprime space um you know i think origination uh, or the lack of originations is probably more driven by you know lenders being more risk adverse than they were rather than you know a dwindling of demand not, not right. to say that that's, you know, not a factor in some, some sense. One other said, thing just to, just to add to that, yeah, um, that another factor, so there's like multiple factors in this, but it was inventory. So we know that, you know, inventory has been kind of struggling to come back. And then um, that means that there's obviously fewer vehicles on the lot. And even, you know, we know so prime borrowers typically go toward the used vehicles. There was even more used, less used vehicles available to them. So that just might mean that their car that they were looking for in the price range they wanted because they shop by monthly payment typically, you know, just may not have been available either. Um, so they may not have been able to purchase a car because what they were looking for and what they needed and the price they needed was not available because inventory has been struggling. So that's just another thing too that could be driving some of this kind of lag that we're seeing. Right. We had also, I, re I recall the three of us talking in, you know, kind of the fall, uh, we had spent a, a few um, podcast episodes talking about the upcoming uh, wave of credit deterioration that was expected. And if, in, as I recall our conversations, we had mm -hmm. um, expected that to take place uh, well around now, right? Uh, I mean, about, about, about this point, um, you know, that, that also could have I would think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, it could have also played into it where, um, into the considerations on originations. Well, we're, we're heading for 
a, you know, a, a poor credit environment, credit performance environment. So let's just hold off on originations now um, and, and kind of save it uh, for when uh, the market maybe returns, which I, I think, well, first of all, I don't know if you disagree. Welcome to, you know, we could talk through that. I mean, it, but it, it, to me, it does imply that that 21% decline um, that, uh, that you mentioned, Amanda, uh, you know, my sense is, is maybe second half of the year, you're talking about not just a 21% growth rate, but maybe even, you know, 30 or 35% growth rate in that, in that um, credit tier. What, what do you both think of that argument? I'm, I mean, I, I agree, right? Like, like uh, the last, last quarter, pretty much, um, we were constantly talking about, like you said, when is credit deterioration coming? When can we expect it? First, it was Q1. Now it's like, oh, maybe maybe Q2. But I mean, I guess the point is we're, we're, we've kind of hit, hit these benchmarks when we said it's coming and it still hasn't really come. Like, we're, yes, we're seeing seasonal upticks in, in delinquency rates. Net charge-offs are still well below what they were, um, you know, a year ago. So, you know, at some point, you're right. Lenders are going to say, you know, the worst is behind us. And, you know, I think we can start getting more aggressive. And I think, you know, by, by the second half of the year, um, you know, if everything continues on its current trajectory, um, we could be well positioned to, to see that happen. Unless it's a demand dynamic. Of course, or an inventory issue in which, or an in which case the market can't, can't meet, meet, um, right. Meet the demand. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Uh, let's talk about the Axos Carvana partnership. Um, so why was this a significant partnership? Well, you know, um, um, Axos, uh, to be fair, is, is a pretty small lender, right? They, they have about 260 million in uh, auto outstandings, but I think um, the partnership is really indicative to the entire movement of the industry. We, we've talked a lot about, um, you know, these well, Large first, let's say what the partnership was. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> That's probably a good idea. So Axos has, has a, a partnership with our Carvana in which its direct, it's direct consumers um, on Axos' website will be redirected to a co-branded page on Carvana. So basically, they get to shop for cars um, on Carvana's um, inventory, and then Axos will find them with a direct-to-consumer um, loan that they are pre-approved for. Uh, it's similar to uh, Partnership Regions Bank, uh, which exited Indirect Auto in 2019, I believe. Um, they have with Carvana, where their direct um, loan consumers get uh, redirected to Carvana's website. They have a co-branded page. Um, so that's the partnership. Pretty simple, straightforward. Um, but like I said, I think it's pretty indicative of We've been seeing larger lenders kind of move to this digital first. Um, Ford started its online uh, CPO program during the NADA show, or announced it rather. Um, and now we, we see Axos Bank, which, like I said, is a relatively small auto lender, still making this move. So I think, I think what we're going to see um, more and more this year is even, even some of the smaller lenders with portfolios in the hundreds of millions really make this this push to digital financing and um, digital retail. I mean, isn't it also more about maybe Carvana kind of using a smaller lender as a um, as a beachhead to establish 
more financing arrangements with other lenders, larger lenders, easier to sort of start small and work your way up? Um, yeah, you know, I don't see why, why it wouldn't be. I'm not, I'm not sure. So what do you mean by est like est they're establish a relationship? Well, they, they're, aren't they, they're, they're providing the financing, correct? No, Axos is, is doing correct. the financing. Uh, Axos yeah. is providing the financing. So, you know, for, so first of all, I mean, for Axos, this is, I would think this is going to just turbocharge its originations like it's, you know, unbelievable. I mean, what's the volume of car sales at Carvana these days? Um, we don't have the latest um, retail sales. They haven't reported their earnings yet, but I, I could figure out um, how many they sold last in Q3. Yeah, so... You know, uh, you know. I mean, this is maybe the kind of thing where, you know, Carvana may eventually acquire Axos. So they're selling about uh, they're selling about a hundred and eighty thousand vehicles. Mm -hmm. it, it, well, this was 2019, right. so probably 2020 was, I would guess, similar, maybe a little more. Probably higher, considering um, they had a huge jump during the pandemic at the height of it. So maybe 250,000 units? That, that could be. That could be. Well, whatever the case may be, I mean, you know, this is like, a, you know, they, they either they can, you know, kind of take a smaller lender and, and you know, make their business, or it's like they establish a relationship with one smaller lender, and then they can have multiple financing partners. Uh, and I know they have another one on the prime side, right? With uh, with uh, regions. So, yeah, regions. Regions. Um, um, but um, but anyway, you know, a prelude to maybe kind of, you know, additional developments on that front, at least for Carvana or digital. Uh, financing. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, from Carvana's point of view, the more, the more of these small partnerships they, they get where, you know, the financing is pre-approved by, by a, a third-party lender and they're, they're funneling their, those customers into Carvana, um, you know, that, that's just a boost for them in their retail sales, which is really their bread and butter, right? Um, Carvana's not super interested in, in the financing. Um, they, you know, they finance and then they, they pass that off, um, to ally or they securitize it, um, take it off their balance sheet. So, so a similar similar uh, approach to this, to their direct to consumer partnerships that they have, where you know funnel sales into Carvana's platform, but keeps those loans off their balance sheet and on, on right. someone else's. Right. I mean, this could this could maybe drive. I mean, what do you think? Uh, uh, do you think maybe a billion of originations at Axos? That. That might be a tall order because um, they did, they're, they're private. So they weren't able to disclose their origination volume, but I would imagine with an outstanding portfolio of indirect, and right, they haven't been indirect before. This is their, a new thing for them. Um, but I would imagine with 260 million in indirect outstandings, you know, their originations are not even anywhere close to a billion. Um, so with 
you know, couple that with the fact that their direct program is brand new. It's still in pilot, um, you know, potentially in a couple of years, maybe. Um, but, you know, that that is quite, quite a lot. So speaking of uh, digital finance, uh, Amanda, you did a great piece on in-vehicle financing or the development of in-vehicle financing. Um, maybe share with us a, a bit of background on that, uh, some quick background. Um, and then, um, you know, really the question that I think bears asking is, you know, why is there this, this sense that financing will be in vehicle and not via mobile device? Like why the, why the vehicle versus the mobile device? Sure. Um, so the background is, you know, connected cars obviously has become kind of the new thing. It's kind of becoming the more normal. Um, it, you don't really get many new cars now without that digital screen, that nice big touch screen and, you know, all the abilities to have all your apps and stuff right into your car. Um, so, you know, this kind of in-vehicle financing trend really comes out of that. Um, you know, as cars become more connected, people want to do more and more easier and easier and quicker and quicker, right? So the idea of in-vehicle financing is basically using your car as kind of the mobile device. So when you pull up to a gas station, right now you can easily, you know, have your apps integrated, you have your, you know, shell, whatever you typically use in the car's, you know, digital kind of system. And so then you can easily use the app within the car, you know, to pay for gas, to pay for food, you know, anything like that. So it's basically using your car as kind of that payment vehicle. Um, and the reason they're kind of moving more toward that versus a phone is just, it's a little easier, right? It's a little faster. It's, you don't have to bring your phone out to, you know, to pull up the app and all that stuff. They're really going more toward, you can pull into a gas station and the car will automatically pay for the gas. You know, right now you still have to kind of hit a button that says, yes, go ahead and do that. The app's already integrated. So the car is not, you know, paying for it. It's integrating into an app that, you know, is connected to your payment card, whatever. Um, but it's basically just making that whole process easier and quicker because that's what we want as humans, right? We're really like about instant gratification. We want it to be quick and anything that can make it even two seconds faster and we're all aboard. Um, so I think that's really more of where it's going. Um, just trying to make all that easier and using the car as a way to do that. And for OEMs, the benefit is really Obviously, if you can have your car do that, that's more appealing to a customer that's looking for more of that luxury and ease. And then also it's a chance to kind of build some loyalty and gives you another way to connect with customers literally right there in their, in their car on the screen. Um, so a couple of different benefits into why this is kind of becoming a whole. Do you, think, do you see this kind of developing as more the realm, as within the realm of the captive finance company? You, you see like kind of the captives handling, you know, they, they handle the lending, they handle the leasing, but now they're going to handle, you think, like kind of the, the in-vehicle payments, finance, transactions too? I don't think it's so much on for car payments, you know, right now. It's really more for for using it for things like, like I said, food and gas and things like that. So the the it's really more of an, an OEM thing. Um, the captives will benefit just because obviously if you drive up more loyalty and customers keep coming back to keep purchasing like a General Motors car, for example, um, that's another way to kind of reach them too. And, and one of the things they mentioned is 
they could use that as a way when you pull into a dealership to say, hey, do you know we have like these great financing deals going on? Um, so it's another kind of advertising avenue, um, but it's not so much built for, you know, making your car payments. It's really more as a luxury kind of benefit to having that digital capabilities in the car and using it more in your everyday life. Yeah. So just to jump I guess, in real quick. Go ahead, please, John. Oh, um, you know, one thing um, General Motors said, uh, Scott Goddard, when we, when we spoke with him uh, for this feature was General Motors has no interest in getting into the payments, right? So the, that back end, um, everything that comes with that, they're, they're not interested in that. It's, it's messy, right? So they let the retailer handle the payments. Um, so in that case, right, for General Motors slash GM Financial, I don't think we will see um, a situation in which GM Financial manages those payments and, um, you know, takes that under, under its hood. Um, but that's not to say that um, another lender couldn't structure that, the, the vehicle payments um, in such a way. Right. I mean, some of the captives do have bank charters, mm -hmm. so they would be able to facilitate the payments to some you know, to some degree. Um, and there are, I mean, I think, you know, famously there's a, a sort of undervaluing of the uh, risk management that underpins some of the digital payments providers. Uh, PayPal is one that comes to mind, you know, the, the, the risk management that is entailed in, in kind of the delay between transaction made, transaction received kind of thing. Um, so, you know, I, I, you know they, the, the captives do have financial sophistication, but, you know, as you say, Jolie, if it's, if it's too messy, mm -hmm. then, then maybe they would. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, I wonder whether they're, you know, at some point, if you, if you see the financial opportunity and you have a financial operation or infrastructure, um, you know, whether that might lead to more engagement with in-vehicle financing. I think, I think it would. Yeah. Okay. So this, uh, what do we have coming up on, on the site in the coming days? This week is um, AFSA virtual conference. Which okay. I'm so we are done. To. Are we done with earnings? Um, pretty much. Vroom and Shift and Carvana report early in March. So we'll have a, a couple trailers coming up, but for the most part, we are done. <laughs> okay, good. And so you have the AFSA event. And um, we also do have our Auto Finance Innovation Summit that is coming up at some point or other. Um, so oh, people should check that out. <laughs> when is it again? March 16th and the 17th. March 16, 17. So people should check out autofinanceinnovation.com um, to uh, register. I know the registrations have been uh, very strong for the event. And um, uh, certainly uh, follow us on Twitter um, and LinkedIn and visit us at autofinancenews.net. Amanda and Joey, thank you so much. And thank you all uh, very much for, um, for joining us. We'll see you next time.